Hey, Wonderfuls, welcome to episode 408 of the podcast with my guest, Annabelle Gerwich. I have known Annabelle for many years. We have talked about this podcast episode happening for many years, uh, and I am so pleased to finally bring it to you. She has a new podcast on the Max Fun Network called Tiny Victories with uh, Laura House, and it's such a great idea. I love that they're doing it. It feels just right for right now. And I also uh, was a fan of Annabelle's when she was on a show called Dinner in a Movie, which I later Later ended up joining the cast of, so there is a nice roundness to all of this. I welcome you in. I hope you enjoy the episode, and I will talk to you soon. Okay, so I'm gonna let's do a thing where yeah. I'm gonna go like a, oh I don't know what that was that that crackling uh, sparkling beverage that I assume is sparkling that just opened yes I and I and out. I put it under a blanket sorry about that what Sounded. oh about the the sound oh I don't care yes. about that yes oh no 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 I just like that's such a specific visceral Isn't it? sound is um, it what is that's it? my white a wine cooler. I'm just kidding. I'm what, what if I, what I'm if so I disappointed that? that you're kidding. Oh, God. Oh. It's a LaCroix. It's a yeah. LaCroix. But what if I did say, like, it's a Bartle and James wine I would, cooler? I would only want to talk about that the entire time. <laughs> because, you know, that's the kind of thing that, I mean, listen, first of all, I would say you of all people could get away with that and make it something charming and like jumpstart a revolution in women. Yeah. (laughs) Non-child women being like, yeah, you know what? I'm taking it back. I'm taking it back. It's a delicious, it's like sangria, but it's got a little bit of a sparkle to it. Come on, everybody. And it comes in a can. Oh, And it comes in a can. (laughs) White cooler. Oh God! Yeah, yeah. Um, did you? Would you drink that? Listen, I now I'm getting into it because teenage years. But uh, yes, was that like a? Did, was that like a real go to for you? Because for me, it was not a go to. It was like I think even in high school, the people I was hanging out with like turned their noses up. They scoffed. It was like let's drop acid and drink vodka. Like it. Yes. Wasn't- no. I, I'm kidding. Like wine cooler. Uh, what I would have been like laughed out of. The well, first of all, I was not a cool girl in high school. I just want to make that clear. I was like in that you know funky theater group, right? There was right. this one moment, one brief shining moment in high school when I had the right haircut. Now I'm a little bit older than you, so the haircut that I'm referring to is the Farrah Fawcett winged thing, oh, right? Yes. So if you had the right haircut, and I grew up in uh, in Miami Beach, so you had to have, it was like a trifecta of things. You had to have the Farrah Fawcett winged haircut, you had to be tan, and you mm. had to have jeans that laced up the front and the back. Oh, These God, help so, us all. It's <laughs> very important, oh. very important trifecta. And oh. I had, I had the jeans... I would sit there in my backyard with um, uh, baby oil and a reflecting <laughs> thing, baking. And you're a you're, my, a, you're a pale person, <laughs> as am. am I. I am. Did I'm it result Ashkenazi in tanning, Jew. or did it just how how often did it lobster? Just straight lobster. 
Uh, or or it, did you, you know, did you tan successfully? I am like zero to lobster really fast. Yeah. But, yeah, me too. you know, uh, I was like very disciplined about it. And this is hilarious because I'm not disciplined about anything. But at that moment, <laughs> I got like the golden tan. This oh. is one one moment in time, okay? And right. the Farrah Fawcett haircut, I didn't have it exactly down. So what you're supposed to have is wings. What I had was more like a chipmunk. I couldn't, uh-huh. I couldn't, I had like a curtain. It like opened and closed like a curtain. It didn't really <laughs> wing. It wasn't feathery. It was like a chipmunky curtain thing, but it was just good enough. Janet, I was voted to the homecoming queen, uh, oh to the, to, to the, to the, uh, like the, the queen, the homecoming queen court. I was a princess in the okay. court, but but here's what happened. This is why it was a brief shining moment. So, you know, I was this drama girl, uh, you know, doing the plays and stuff like that. So I had a place in my high school hierarchy. But that moment, I was like, oh, sort of in the threatening to be popular moment. And mm-hmm. in the yearbook that year, you can see me in a gown posing in the homecoming court. But... What happened in actual life was in between the time that I was, you know, like nominated and won. And I was also like, I won like class secretary that year as well. Cause I'm telling you, it was all the hair, the hair, the hair, (laughs) even chip monkey. It was pretty good. And the jeans, hair, jeans, tan, hair, jeans, tan. So between the time the picture was taken and the actual like event at a football game where we were all supposed to trot out like the homecoming court, I discovered pot or weed or Uh marijuana. Uh I was so stoned the night of the homecoming court, I couldn't find the football field. I never made it. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. Oh, that's wonderful. Never made it out there. Never made it out. And then something else happened. Uh, So... Growing up in Miami Beach, very late 70s, my neighbors were the Bee Gees, okay? So it's so crazy because the Bee Gees documentary is really big now and people are once again thinking like, oh, the Bee Gees, they were so great. No one needed to tell us that in Miami Beach in 1970, (laughs) like eight or nine. Like I took disco dancing lessons okay oh my god of course you could take lessons it never occurred to me until this moment of course you could and i took them with my then boyfriend who is now currently the mayor of miami beach (laughs) so we used to go and watch the movie saturday night fever over and over in the theaters get up and dance right along with the movie we were like so into it and then we would sit on the top of somebody's Camaro. You had to have a Camaro in high school. I didn't have a Camaro, but other people had Camaros, right? That was the car, like the dazed and confused car. Sure. We would sit. I mean, can you imagine how the Bee Gees actually felt about this? We would sit in our Camaros or on the Camaros and play Bee Gees soundtracks in our cars loud in front of their houses. 
I don't really know why we did this. <laughs> I have so many questions. <laughs> and then, I have so many questions. And then, like, it was like they were like, you know, Miami Beach was not full. Of, it wasn't like L.A., you know, where, like, you know, you run into people. Like, I live near the Rock and Roll Ralphs. You know, that's the, that's the uh, grocery store where you regularly see people in bands, of course, in the before times when we all, you know, sure. were going to grocery stores so, so um but in Miami Beach this was not the case but you know people in my high school would be like oh someone had a job at the local pharmacy and they'd be like I sold condoms to Robin Gibbs you know it was like it was like a whole <laughs> like they were part of our lives and in fact the Bee Gees donated acoustic curtains to the Miami Beach Senior High School rock ensemble, which I was part of. I sang in this rock band. And let me just say, I can't sing. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought it, the whole thing was cool. We had these like sequin tube tops we wore. I had a double perm. By that point, I had given up A double up perm. The... Wait, what makes a double oh, perm yeah. a double perm? Okay. So I had given up the, by then, you know, once I found, you know, weed, I given up the chipmunk hair. I was like straight on rock ensemble, totally into this like rock band thing. Bee Gees gave us our curtains. The double perm was, <laughs> if you saw, if you saw a working girl, what Melanie Griffith had. So it wasn't okay. enough to have. And I, I just, I hope anyone who's listening will go. If you actually, if you Google me, you can actually find pictures of me with a double perm because that double perm actually lasted embarrassingly into the nineties when okay. I was the anchor of not necessarily the news. It, it's so humiliating uh, on HBO. So the double perm was like, it's not good enough to have curly hair. No, it has to have a kind of, well, it's like a Jufro. It's like, if you don't have a natural Jufro, you need this like Brillo pad kind right. of Jewishy hair that I didn't quite have. And so you take that perm and you do it again and you fry the shit Oof, out of okay. the hair. It's an, I mean, it's a double perm. There's no, it's, it's a, a double it's perm. A double perm. And, and once you double perm, by the way, you can't brush your hair. You can't <laughs> even comb your hair. It just like, wow. it's like a, it's like a, it has its own gravitational force. I mean, uh -huh. it was intense. It was. <laughs> oh like gosh. a rat's nest uh but i had that and i and at the same time so at the same time that i got the double perm i discovered and this was like like one of these transformational moments in life like okay it had been bgs it had been the fair faucet haircut uh a couple friends of mine got in someone's camaro and we drove to fort lauderdale from miami beach it was like a two-hour drive to see a band that was playing that someone had heard of called the Ramones. <laughs> and we're in this tiny club. There were like 200 or 300. I mean, I don't know. It was very small. And there's the Ramones, Joey Ramone, Dee Dee Ramone, Johnny, all the Ramones. They're pale, they're in their black leather motorcycle jackets, and they're singing their three-chord idiotic songs. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, 
what have I been doing with the tan, the jeans, <laughs> and the perm? And I immediately just hold up, stopped going in the sun, uh, just like started. It's so embarrassing. Like I took all my clothes because I'm so punk, and I um, and I added safety pins to them. Oh yeah, that you was bet. oh you know come on this man died was, and then I would like tore all my jeans. And at the time, let me just say, my family was like rich, poor, rich, poor, rich, poor. Really, okay. We I got just, yeah. I want to get into this because you, when you say your neighbors with the BGs, that yeah. that raises some questions. Let me just say, we were actually poor the whole time, but we pretended my I didn't. It was like a scam. But so I mm. was driving to school in my mother's Mercedes, but I was punk. <laughs> <laughs> It's like so embarrassing, but that actually never left me. I still, I, and then I moved to New York. I moved to this, to go to NYU. Guess who was my on the block neighbor? Joey Ramone. Oh my God. And I never, I've actually never really given up the, uh, my love of the Ramones and their sort of, I mean, I felt like when I heard the song, I'm against it by the Ramones, that became my life philosophy. I'm a Jewish mm. person, but I'm really, my, I, I worship at the church of the, I'm against it Ramones. I mean, <laughs> who ever said anything better than just, I'm against it. They weren't just against, they weren't against, you know, a politician. They weren't against whatever political or, or, you know, they were just against it, all yeah. of it. And to yeah. me, I still feel, I still feel that is that, I, yeah, I'm good with that. I have maintained that since age 18, I have maintained my fealty to the Ramones. I'm against it. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me, let me ask these questions. I got to ask these yes. questions. Okay. okay. First of all, this is less a question than a comment, but I cannot believe how, I mean, there are so many phases of our American <laughs> culture that have been unkind in terms of like, how, how, how shit out of luck are you if you can't do this, don't look like this, don't have this. But that one, that one you described is rough. Like, for me, you know, the by the time I was in high school, like, you know, we were just wearing, like, long johns th- with, like, then men's <laughs> boxer shorts over that with, like, a baggy extra, extra large shirt, a t-shirt, and then, like, a flannel. You know, that was just very, like, schlubby. Like, our, yes. it was cool to just be schlubby as hell. There was yes. no focus for me in, in the world I was living in on, like, form or figure. I didn't have to have a tiny butt. I didn't, you know what I mean? Like, Where did the you idea of up, having Jen? to have uh, Tucson, Arizona. Oh, oh okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. so I just, like, my heart aches for the girls who, in particular, I mean, there's so much that's hard about it, but in particular, the idea of, like, tight pants and you know skinny skinny and feathered mm. head like well the hair definitely was mm. that's always hair is oh, always yes. hard the, but the skinny skinny oh, thing God, was absolutely rough. real because oh. it, in the disco era too like i wore um a glitter uh tube top with like those like stretchy pants like they weren't yeah. pants they were basically leggings and you yeah. had to you know it required if you, re, you know, it, it required some, some not eating. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. 
Then I want to say, yes, I the, the, you you drop the bomb of living near the Bee Gees. I, and the, the, first of all, and then, of course, when you first said that, in my mind, they all live in one big house together. 100% <laughs> could not have, like, that's what I thought was happening. And then when you said their houses, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah okay, so they live near each other, possibly next door to each other, but they don't all yes. live in one house yes. like I was picturing yes. Up until you said that, um, what? So was it? A, was it quite posh? And and what? Do you mind elaborating on the uh, living outside of your means, going but then having to live within no, them not and at all. back and not, forth? Not at all. So I I wrote about this in the book. Wherever you go, there they are. I wrote. I was writing about. I wrote that that book particularly is the stories, and this really relates to sort of this high school time because. I didn't understand what was going on in my family till then because people don't, you know, you don't know necessarily, hey, your dad's a flim-flam guy uh, until you're a certain age. So... What happened was, uh, you know, had been growing up. We, I was born in Alabama. We moved around the country a number of times. I never knew why we moved around the country mm-hmm. until I was in high school. And I was, by that point, we were living on a gated private island in Miami Beach, Sunset Islands. This, there, it's, you know, our neighbors were Howard Hughes and uh, William Not that you ever saw him. Am I right, everybody? Yeah, not that we ever saw. Okay, great. (laughs) Cool. I know stuff. Yeah, and the Bee Gees and uh, deposed uh, uh, dictator Samosa. I mean, it was like, it was seriously intense kind of thing. So, you know, um, but, and I knew we had like the smallest house there. You know, like we had this right. cottage there on the interior of the island. We didn't live on the waterfront. People who lived on the water, I knew, had more money. But still, this was a very tony place. And we had come there after living in a plasticky, cheap, two-bedroom apartment in Wilmington, Delaware. And we had hmm. landed when I was in grade school in, like, paradise. As the way I describe it is, like, it's as though I had been living in a black-and-white film and all mm. of a sudden... Life was in technicolor. I had never yeah. even seen like fresh fruit. We were eating like you know, like you do when you're a very middle class, working mm-hmm. class family. Everything came from a can: canned yeah. peaches, canned peas. I mean, my up until then, my life was like lima beans and canned peaches and uh, tuna surprise casserole. Yeah, we get to Miami Beach, and all of a sudden, there's like, I mean, this is. This is how different the world was. Like, I had never seen mango. I didn't, papaya. I didn't even know these things existed. I was like, (laughs) what world is this? And that's when I entered this world of the girls who were tan and fit and they were cute. And in fact, Janet, when when we first moved there and I was like 12, a neighbor knocked on our front door. I only heard about this again in high school. For years, I just, you know, I mean, as a kid, I didn't know what was going on. My mother told me when we first moved to Florida, a neighbor knocked on the door and it was a neighbor's mom. And she said, uh, someone I was starting to befriend at school, she said, you have got to buy your daughter new clothes. She is not going to fit in here. 
uh, you, she's wearing all these drab wool clothes that I had from Wilmington, Delaware. And she said, yeah. you have got to get her new clothes. My mother never got over that. Like she was just so shamed by this. Oh my God. I never knew this. But what was happening was my dad was um, basically uh, a gambler in businesses. He would start and stop these businesses. And then whenever he would like owe money to everybody, we'd have to like, and this is of course before the internet and everything was really traceable. Right. We would hightail it out of town. We moved out of Mobile in the middle of the night. I mean, like, it was like, oh, my oh, God. You know? And then would we you have siblings. In- yeah. Uh, with my sister. And then He's we moved okay. in with my mom's sister because we had no money. Like, we lost our house. We lost our businesses. I didn't know any of this. You know, it was like yeah. it was all these adventures. And then we moved to Florida. My dad had a bunch of businesses, including at one point he was a distributor of soft porn, soft, soft core porn movies. And. Um, at one point, they and they were put in my name and my sister's name. Oh, At God. one point, I owned the rights to the movie Poor White Trash, subtitled Scum of the Earth, Parts 1 and 2. Oh, <laughs> so, and oh. the, the movie that did us in, because it was actually a good movie that my dad was a financier on, but it never made money, was a movie called uh it starred christopher Plummer. okay and it was a movie that was called i am blanking on this movie's name oh my god this movie was like the worst thing that happened in my whole life uh up until then um it was called i'm gonna i have to look it up because it's so embarrassing because this movie made no money and that's that bankrupted my family in high school and it but it was actually was like the only decent movie that he that my dad ever that yeah. my dad ever produced. Yeah, uh, it, it's so crazy. Um, and it was called. Uh, well, you look I'm it gonna, up. I'm I just want to say that Christopher think Plummer yes. would have been a great showbiz name had he gone into softcore porn. Um, totally. Totally, totally. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna think of it. But uh, so, yeah. you know, this. So we were in this. We were living in this place where it was. We were surrounded by wealth. And but you know what, check kiting is. <laughs> is uh, I feel like I can hazard a guess based on the term. But um... okay, okay. So you know, um, basically, my my dad would float money from account to account. Yeah, you know, yeah. and so it was this long sort of history of doing this. And so before things crashed, at times, and and sometimes he would make money, but then other times he but he would overspend it. He just he was a right. really interesting guy. He had fast food restaurants, a silver mine softcore porn movies um he had um an insurance business he owned radio stations at one point he tried to get the entire family and this is in the late 60s to invest in something that we would have really made money in which was he came up with this idea in like 1968 this is before it existed for pet health insurance Oh, there you go. Because <laughs> he was in head insurance company. And it just, yeah. it, it was all a disaster. But 
you know, so we lived in this place that we really couldn't afford. The house had like, oh God, at any given moment, there were like four mortgages. And so it was all this, mm. you know. How stressful. Uh, totally. Uh, it, it, it was really hard on my mom. However, at the same time, as it was really a terrible thing, it did give me this entrance into this world. I mean, sure. I had a I had a really interesting childhood in that I was able to like travel in and out of all these worlds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that allowed me to later, you know, feel strangely comfortable in any kind of situation because mm-hmm. I had that been, makes sense. Yeah, I had sure visiting people in a um in a uh in a in a blue collar crime prison been there mm-hmm. done that <laughs> right <laughs> staying at a staying at a at a at a at a um at a uh old uh chateau in France done that too I'd done a wow. lot of things yeah. uh been poor and lived uh in uh you know it lived in, in a house with my aunt and uncle because we had nothing done that like i had a lot right. of experiences yeah. that were actually you know really interesting and made me feel like i fit into a lot of places because i had lived in a lot of different ways but in general i do not recommend that <laughs> What was your relationship with your dad like when you were a teenager? Was he present? Was he always like, like, did he always have 80 plates in the air and he was not home much? Or like, did you, what what was your relationship like? Oh, you know, uh, you can read that book. Uh, Basically, uh, okay, the movie was called The Silent Partner, by the way. 1978 starred Elliot Gould as well. It's a fucking awesome movie. Nice. Uh, I, I I highly recommend it. Just remember, it ruined my childhood. When you see it, <laughs> enjoy, everybody. Um, okay. But but uh, you know, I mean, it, I had you know, I had a re- one relationship with my dad at the time, which was, I thought my dad was the most fun person in the sure. entire world, you know. And then later, I thought, this is so nuts. I I just, you know, so I had lots of changing relationships, which is how I ended up in going into theater and looking for other families. You know, I I went into the theater world when I went to NYU and uh, moved to New York to become an actress. And I just wanted to join someone else's family. And that's actually how I ended up in a cult as well, because I was just, for a couple, for a number of years, I wasn't in touch with my family. I, that, that ended, but I, so I was like, I replaced my family with a cult at a certain point. How old were you? Uh, 19. You, you were 19 when you started to, when you joined, when you, I guess you say, yeah. I mean, if, if there's one thing that the, the recent past has taught us, I think there's been more focus on a, a variety of cults from the past. Um, yes. I feel like that's been more present maybe in podcasting or documentaries, or maybe I'm just more interested. I'm not sure it, it could just be that, but, um, but the, the whole sort of, um, well, you know what, I guess it's probably because of, um, because of, uh, next, 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 I mean, that's the, yeah. yeah, that's really the thing oh, that, that, uh, I mean, that's that so has, fascinating, that blew up. right. Isn't it right. so fascinating? But it's how so did, so, 
is that was that a situation where you you mean like many like any cult I guess you don't necessarily feel like that's what it is you just feel like you found a group of people who more aptly like nope. define your values and stuff or did you go not I'm at doing all this cult. <laughs> I'm interviewing different cults right now. Um, What do you guys believe? Will I have to kill myself at any point? Yeah. No, first of all, nope. I went into this thing wholeheartedly. uh, And when I tell you what it was, you're going to... Oh, okay. So uh, the thing was, I just want to make this caveat that... You can hear the story on the moth. I told the story on the moth, and nice. um, and I and I've written about it a number of times because it's it's um, you know I I think people relate to this kind of thing when you when you hear a story about someone who's been in a cult, you go, oh my god, I would never do that. And then when you kind of hear about, it, you go, well, you know, I kind of understand it, and it's endlessly fascinating because I think it's everyone's worst fear that we would do something like this. And I did right. it. What it was was when I was nineteen, and this was like the end of the. Um, <laughs> this was the fallout. I blame Christopher Plummer. Basically, <laughs> it's all his fault because if Poor the movie C. even. Plum. Fucking Christopher Plummer, no. Because that movie tanked, I dropped out of college, my family had no money, and I, it was also, it shouldn't have been so sudden, but that's how I experienced it. I was so mad at my family, wasn't talking to them. I met someone in New York, as you do, and let me just say, everybody was in a cult in New York at this moment. <laughs> Everyone was in some kind of cult. Don't, you can't out-cult people in New York in the 80s. Uh-huh. So I met someone, a group of people that were so nice and they were, and I still know some of them, let me just say. And the thing is this, when people talk about a cult, there are actual definitions that people have come up with that are exactly what a cult is. So they usually, it's about money. It's about indoctrination. It's about feeling like you can't leave. There's like, there's all these thresholds. Right, right. Yes. So the group that I was part of was totally voluntary. No money was involved. But the reason why I call it a cult is because, and it's very possible, I was the only one in the cult in the sense that I was the only one who might have believed every single thing (laughs) we all said, uh, because I was that kind of desperate person looking for a family. Mm. So- Mm. And I want to make that clear because some people who are in that, who were in that group have been mad at me. And I, I mean, I, people can think whatever they want, but like, you know, it really wasn't a cult. No one made you be part of this group. Right. Right. But it was so extreme that I I don't know how to use, you know, okay. So it was a, this group was a group organized around someone who became like a father figure to me, who really was the dearest person and adored me. I adored him. He also happened to believe that he was the reincarnation of the Pharaoh Akhenaten in the oh, 18th the dynasty. Stuff. Yes. Got it. The 18th dynasty in Egypt, and that everyone in this group was a reincarnation of someone in that Got it. royal family. We Got really it. believed this. We also okay. believed we were in contact with these spirits through these 
psychic readings and this channeling. And we also believed we were in contact with aliens who were planning their first documented visit to the earth and that we would be returning to the home planet on a certain date. And I was preparing for that for a number of years. At the same time, I was pursuing a career as an actress. I had a job on a soap opera, okay? Oh, my God. I never told anybody this outside of that group. And nobody made me be in that group. You didn't. I mean, there was nothing like that. I chose to do this. Okay, we're going to take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. I can't hear are you myself, but I'm assuming that... These are real podcast listeners, not actors. And hey, thanks for coming. Here's a list of descriptors. What would you choose to describe the perfect podcast? I mean, vulgarity. Dumb. Definitely dumb. And like, uh, right here, this one, meritless. What if I told you there was a podcast that did have all of that? No. Jordan Jesse Go. And it's free. Jordan Jesse Go? Jordan Jesse Go. Jordan Jesse Go. A real podcast. Uh, let me ask you this. What, wh- like, the, 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 the people that were upset with you because of your use publicly of, a, of the word mm-hmm. cult in the past, what would they have preferred you use? Well, you know, a collective, a comp, like what you know what I mean? Like, what do you You call that? uh, I mean, I I, I genuinely don't know, but yeah, I mean, it. Yes, uh, okay. So it was a it was a new age group of seekers. To me, the the idea is so extreme. So yeah, maybe I should not use the word cult. Uh, It's just that for me, I was actually in a cult. I, because that's the whole thing is other people in that group might have thought, I was the youngest person in that group for most of the time, although a couple of younger people came in later. It was a very small group, let me just say. Uh, But uh, it, it may be that those people all thought it was all very quaint and you know, oh, these these things they must have thought, oh, this is this is just for fun. I took it totally seriously. I mean, I was I would I would count in my bank account how much money I had, always making sure I had enough money to buy a plane ticket to get to the location in Greece where the pickup was going to take place by the aliens. I mean, I, I was I took this really seriously. Right. Now the thing right. is no one ever said you know, it was not about like, we're going to all kill ourselves. I, I, I just can't imagine I would have done that. Right. I don't know if that had been posited what I would have done, but that was right. not posited. That was never right. part of it. Right. It was right. part right. of right. living and be, I mean, it was, it was not a, it was nothing like a death cult. It was just right. that it was so far fetched from what I 
the reality I live now, it seems like I was another person. I mean, I totally get it. I totally get it. And side note, I will say quickly that I fully believe I could join a cult. I'm (laughs) not the person that is like, I cannot even, because I'm very empathetic and I have a lot of mirror neurons. And if I were Mm -hmm. around a group of people who all felt the same way and, and they're the sort of feedback loop of authenticity was mm-hmm. present there where we all felt so deeply and kept, you know, sort of regenerating new beliefs that were yeah. bouncing off each other. And, and it became more and more of this kind of world uh, to live in. I, I, I don't I don't look on people who join cults or, you know, who end up in cults or whatever. Um, I, I, I don't really feel like, oh, you idiot. Um, I don't feel that way. I just feel like well, humans are so we're so malleable. And we're and, we, and when we need something, when we are lacking something or we're looking for a space to fill in our souls, um, there are <laughs> pretty much anything's possible. You know, you know, it's kind of funny, actually. I mean, when you said that, I think, well, you know, really what it was was like a uh, a religious kind of group in you know in a certain sense like like you know i don't think my experience is actually very analogous you could say it's more analogous to people who were raised in mormon church you know or raised in a very religious right. uh, orthodox sect of judaism you know right. these extreme beliefs it's not what what difference is it really if you believe if if you accept you know the that that uh uh, that there were these tabernacles, gold tabernacles brought down to earth that were buried in the ground, dug up, and, you know, all the rituals of the Mormon church. I mean, really, and that, and that all has to do with your future life and where you're going to be reunited later. So, I mean, there's, it's, it's really, I guess you could say it's even more analogous to that, you know, when you right. accept these very extreme beliefs, you know, right. and that's, right. and that all came out of my, uh, you know, childhood of like looking for family and then ending up in comedy because mm-hmm. <laughs> comedy the is cult really cultish. Comedy. It, you know, like you mean people who are second city people versus people who were, uh, you know, uh, groundling people. I mean, I just remember at a certain point, I, I not, you know, like, oh, you know, the groundlings aren't really doing improv. They're doing <laughs> characters. I mean, right. you know, like, you know, right. it's like. Yeah, yeah. We all, the, the, the ways in which we all, especially at certain points in our lives, I think, like need to feel like we belong to something. And then um, just as importantly, how are the ways in which that thing is more special or different or more fundamental than something that, you know, is not what you're doing? That's something else, something close, something like... And the the extreme ways that we give power over to somehow or another people who get, who get, you know, uh, are attracted to, uh, performing, you know, these people who founded, uh, second city, even the groundlings and even just, you know, acting classes. I had acting class with Stella Adler's main teacher in New York. And he would say to me these things like, you're the worst thing that would ever happen, could ever happen to the theater like oh i mean God. we we allow people to say things to us like that to give them power as if they are you know like it's like a religion you had right. to buy into the religion of stella adler at the stella right. adler studio. or like boot camp when you're in the military i mean just the thing the ways in which yes. you have to be indoctrinated so that you can you know the 
that whatever the motivation for performing as a hive mind, so to speak, like that yeah. there is there has to be this sort of indoctrination or this, you know, this 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 period of time in which your whole life needs to be this thing in order for it to stick or in order for that thing to be successful. And, and that can be that, you know, towards good things. It could be towards um, amoral things. It can be towards bad <laughs> right. things. Like, it can, you know what I mean? It could be it, it, it could be anything. Um, I remember when I read Don DeLillo's book, Mal 2. I, I, I'm such a fan of Don DeLillo's book. I am too. And- so great. So great. And in Mal 2, Don DeLillo wrote about the um, Sun Young Moon and the Church of the Unification Church. And, you know, that was, uh, he was that figure uh, in that group where they would have those massive weddings where he would marry his followers who had never met before. They would go to these and they would get married. And then what one of the things I learned when I read that that. Uh, Don DeLillo book was that when the um, the Sun Young Moon's followers would go to you know raise money for the organization, which they got none of basically, they would be um, right. sent out on the road in vans where they were basically one of the techniques they had in sort of breaking down the idea of a personality and your individual agency was you didn't own anything yourself in those groups. So you would just share clothes. Like they'd go to the laundromat, who's ever clothes. Like they didn't even have their own underwear, you know, like it, mm, it was, yeah. it was a, you know, and so that's like heaven's then, gate kind of. Yeah. But they would go out to sell flowers, you know, on these and they and then they would, you know, go from town to town in these vans and, you know, raise money and they everything. In some ways, it sounds a lot like the traveling companies of Second City. (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Sent out in vans, like everyone, like, I mean, I, my ex-husband was uh, a second city person and like, you know, like everyone wanted to be, in order to get on the main stage, you had to go to the touring and you'd go out in vans and you'd play these places, make very little money that they were bringing in. I'm not saying it was predatory because look, a lot of people came up that way, but there was, it it sounds an awful lot like Sun Young Moon's Church of Unification, (laughs) you know? And coincidentally, one of my dad's former secretaries or assistants that he had an affair with that I was his beard for later joined the Church of Unification and I ran into her selling flowers on the street. Uh, for Sun Young Moon uh, under a freeway overpass in Miami, bringing it full oh circle. Oh my god! No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> let me yeah. l- let me let me say this. First of all, yes. I knew that this could be a six-hour conversation, and yes. I and and we don't have that. But I no. will say that there are so many things that I can. That you're right in that you have done so much work, and you have. Um, you have you have such a body of work of writing behind you in addition to other things but um that that you know i can point people to and one of, and obviously you have a new book of essays that has just come out which is you're leaving when i do you're leaving when adventures in downward mobility it lands on march 2nd and uh that is a collection of essays that are motivated from 
Uh, if you've ever been in a moment in your life where it's been a, what the fuck just happened? Everything has changed, <laughs> yeah. say like during a pandemic and you've yes, had indeed. to readjust to things. So those are all stories about uh, remaking my life after my divorce. I became a landlady. I rent out rooms in my home. I had a kid who left home, went to college, went to rehab and all these sort of experiences of uh, this like sort of like a, 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 a fallout from everything changing in my sure. life. Some of these stories have been excerpted in the New York Times and LA Times. One of the stories I just want to send people to is a story I accidentally became the seventh household in Los Angeles to participate in a bridge housing program where I hosted a couple experiencing homelessness in my That's home. That's a great story, Annabelle. It's a great and story. I, I really uh, hope people will read that. It was really a trans, one of those transformational experiences. And, uh, you know, uh, of course, I really want people to laugh through all these stories, but there's a lot of serious topics that I... Uh, try to poke fun of myself yeah. as I as I go through them, and yeah, you're leaving. When is out, and then I have the new podcast Tiny on our Victories. on our same network, Tiny Victories. Yes, I love I the concept of this podcast. It's you and Laura House, two yes. women I have liked, known, and admired for many years. Um, and it's a it's a, a podcast that's a little bit more on the bite size uh, side of things, which is kind of the whole point. Um, yes. and it's celebrating, it's celebrating the small victories that you have, even if your life is a mess, it can sort of, it doesn't have to be a mess, but let's presume that many of us feel like our lives oh, are. I, I, I'm just, I'm just or... starting at my life is a mess. That's, that's my place where I always start. But the <laughs> right. whole idea of tiny victories was that it's a tiny podcast and yeah, it's great. so, uh, it's 15 minutes long and we just try to highlight very small mercies, like things that, yeah you're never going to read about in the paper. I love that it. I, I love, love, love it. Yeah, I, my just We have a show coming up. I just want to mention to people about how in a neighborhood was brought together <clears throat> in Silver Lake, where near where we live, by uh, some lost chickens. And I just yeah. I just love that, that poultry brought yes. a neighborhood together. I love yes. it. I know. So. It's so good. And, and the, by the way, that wasn't me like rounding up anything because obviously we're going to play yep. our mash game and all that kind of good stuff. But Ooh. the reason that I that I asked or that I brought it up when I did is that I did want to ask just because yes. you've had these many adventures. I mean, look, if I like it, it, I almost wonder, I mean, it seems like your dad kind of started the ball rolling in that way. Right. Because I would never even if I wanted to be as prolific as you've been. I just I don't <laughs> I'd, my stories would just be like, you know, they would. I mean, maybe I could make them vibrant and hilarious and strange um, by virtue of whatever, you know, my writing skills are or my perspective. But, you know, there are like empirical facts about things that you've gone through and experienced and either chosen or have had happen to you in your life that are extraordinary. Um, when did you like and you and you ha you do have such a, a self-awareness of them and you have you're very self-effacing about them and you're willing to explore uncomfortable things, very personal things, things that um, which I love because that's, you know, kind of part of the purpose of this podcast for the last almost nine years is this, you know, is sort of the the uh, the universality of of humility and uh and just the things that we go through um that maybe we don't like to talk about because they don't make us seem cool or whatever um when did you have 
like obviously I'm assuming comedy was a kind of an aha moment for you because there is uh, that comedy sort of welcomes that introspection and that expression of the introspection. Um, When did you start having like that? Did you always kind of have that self-awareness of like I'm sort of seeing I'm I'm able to kind of see my life and my experiences um, from the outside as a writer can sometimes. So you know it's it's funny what you just said, Jenna, because uh, like I I have a like a the sweet spot in comedy for me is something that you captured in the series uh, Everyone's Crazy But Us, right? There was an episode that you uh, collaborated with uh, a mutual friend of ours, Christy Mann, on, um, where your character uh, is considering... uh, No, you actually do this. You put an ingredient in food uh, for your friend that's coming <laughs> yeah. over who says she has an allergy and you just don't fucking believe it. Uh-huh. And I just, and, and you want to test it out. And sure, you might kill her right. if if it's true, but you just refuse to believe it. And that's a Kate Walsh, Dietrich Bader episode. Yeah. It's so fucking funny and it's so uncomfortable. And I, and yet I like for, I was totally with you like, yeah. I think she should do that. I it just it's it's like just like the underbelly of of, of of a person's psychology. And I I love that. And so I have lived a lot of moments like that. And I'm interested in those moments. And so when I just started writing, which which really um surprised me, let me just say I I never intended to write. I was just an actress. I don't want to say just an actress. I was an actress for many years. I just never thought about writing. I just didn't have enough detachment to sort of even mm. see the stories that I had. Um when I started writing, which happened uh just by accident, I happened to have made a connection with, um, I was working on a movie with Harry Shearer, you know, from this is Spinal mm-hmm. Tap and who has a show, who had a show on NPR. I met through him, people at NPR who basically it's crazy, you know, invited me to be a commentator on NPR and write these commentaries. And because I had a really good editor there too, it sort of helped shape my idea of what I was interested in as a writer. I, mm. I don't even know that that kind of help exists anymore with like, I feel so lucky that I had this uh, producer, Steve Prophet, who helped me to shape what I was interested in and what I ended up being interested in. And this is remains through, you know, uh, you're leaving when is my fifth book now, which is really nutty. It's uh, great. But what I'm always interested in is where my particular psychology meets whatever in the social zeitgeist. I don't actually think you know, I'm so interesting or things that have happened to me are that unusual. I mean, there are some, yeah, I did have kind of a really kind of crazy uh, childhood. And still, I, I feel like sometimes, uh, you know, th- I, I sometimes I'm in a position where, you know, pretty nutty things happen. But it's mostly for me about noticing patterns and a willingness to, I hope, reveal the most what I think of as embarrassing or the, or, or like to try to, try to, uh, to write to what we consider most shameful, you know? Right, um, right. 
and 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 then to sort of capture that within the cultural zeitgeist that's what interests me it's not it's not like that i think i'm so special but like so for instance like for me what interests me is um and it, it always interested me as an actress but then as a as a writer now like i'll just look at moments like this like i there's a story in my new book about this thing that happened i bought tickets i bought a ticket for myself on kayak.com. I mean, you know, discount airline ticket to get from LA to go to Oakland. And Uh I, I thought I was buying it on some like off brand thing. It was, it was less than $200, this ticket. I didn't know what, I never heard of this airline. I show up at this address, which was off site from the airport. And I'm thinking, (laughs) oh my God, I'm on like a medical transport. Uh, I'm going to have to fly carrying a kidney in ice, uh, right? But no, Janet, it was a empty seat. It's called an empty leg. It's like an empty seat on a semi-private plane. So it's uh-huh. I get to this hub and I'm like, holy fuck. I, I check in. I don't know what's going on. And I was the first person there, and I'm alone in an airport hangar with a jet surrounded by red velvet ropes. And I'm (laughs) like, holy shit, you know? And the whole thing is, is I am so against this kind of thing. I'm like a diehard environmentalist. I hosted a show on the Discovery Channel about lowering your ecological footprint. The reason why I was hosting that show was I was doing that in life. And I had, I I mean, I was deeply committed to this. I am like so against this kind of consumption of fuel in exactly, well, less than two seconds, I went from an environmentalist to like, I'm flying like a boss. (laughs) I was like, I was instantly that horrible person. This animus came out of myself. I was like, what do I have to do to always be in this world? I was like, wait, here's the thing. There was no line for the ladies' room. Yeah, that's huge. huge. I go into the bathroom and there's cut flowers there's roses in the late of an airplane i mean it was like it was so nuts and i i was immediately willing to give up all of my all of my long-held values and ethics and so like i write that story because that's what interests me of like i think i'm a good person but you know what i'm not you know and i I'm just always, and so that's not like, oh, you know, the most extraordinary thing happened in the world. It was just this moment of recognition that I'm not the person I thought I was. And I feel like that's a relatable thing. And so telling the story, and I love little details. I mean, I just love details of like, uh, uh, if I can like, this is where I guess I really turned into a writer a few years ago where I just constantly am taking notes and, and just like trying to conjure an image for you. So like, here's like one of the telltale points of that story was like, I get on this like plane and, um, I pull down the pull down tray and 
You know how those are like these tinny things, and actually there have been studies that show that the dirtiest place in a plane oh, isn't the bathroom, it's the pull-down yeah. tray. You know, it's I've like it's like it. it's like a it's like a petri dish of disease. This tray was blonde polished wood <laughs> with this grain, undulating grain, like a Mondrian painting. I I tried to pull it off and put it in my carry-on bag. Like, I was like, I was like a serial killer trying oh, to just God. like get a trophies. souvenir. Trophies, it's baby. Trophies. I mean, it's like, and I just like feel like, you know, that's so, so if, if you're the kind of person who likes to, to like read, a, you know, like who finds that funny and wants to see moments of like, horrible reckoning with yourself you know you'll like my work if you're not you know go to instagram there are a lot of people with perfect bodies posting pictures of themselves that's right in beautiful locations do that right. instead you know that's right that's 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 i'm not instagram that's that's, right. that's the thing yeah, no, so. I definitely, if I am, if, if it seemed like I was implying that you only write about things that no one can relate to because they're so crazy, that's oh, definitely no. No, not I, I didn't. Saying, yeah. I didn't hear that. I just mean, it, it's funny because like there's, there are these things that I do think are sort of like uh, particular to my life. Like I do have some kind of, oh, nutty luck of like, <laughs> I would say nutty bad luck. Right. <laughs> like of like really weird things happening like like i i did write about like one of the adventures with my dad was we ended up in los angeles when he had this um uh softcore porn thing and i ended up at a nightclub in a ladies room smoking angel dust with danny bonaducci so who lives two doors down from me now oh my god <laughs> yeah. that's so nuts it's so nuts that's but, amazing you know, yeah 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 you know just just that well you know listen it, some of us sort of you know if you if you if you think of that as like people talk about coincidences or you know them being meaningful or not being meaningful i i tend to you know without any i don't know that i'm like assigning a ton of deep heavy significance or meaning but i do sort of feel like when things come back around like that it's just the it's just there's some part of me that chooses to think of that as like well whatever else is going on i must be doing the right thing because i'm sort of getting these taps on the shoulder that are like yeah you know what for sure it's too weird that you now live two doors down from Danny Bonaduce. So you're doing something right because somehow this is like linking back up with a journey that you've been on this whole time. So well, that it's a sort Janet, of breadcrumb, a weird breadcrumb that's like, yeah, see, I'm doing okay. Look, I look, here's this guy. But I do know what you mean. And I do love that. And just by the way, if anyone listened to this, doesn't know this, one of the really fun things about uh, just I am like embarrassingly your super fan is this in case someone doesn't know this. So I started hosting dinner in a movie in 1990 something, 90, actually I do know, 97 or nine, it was before my kid was born. So uh, I hosted that show for like six or seven years, I can never remember. Uh, when I was fired from that show, uh, a few women replaced me, including 
the amazingly talented Lisa Arch, and then you, and this, you know, in and, and you, and 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 I think both of you are fabulous. I love both of you. And what's, I think, you know, this is where choice comes into it too. You know, not like the universe is working for you. Like, you know, uh, how do you choose to accept the things that happen also in your life through absolutely, you know, total, uh, you know, uh, no fault of your own or whatever, like, okay, I was fired from that job. And then am I going to think that the women who have uh, taken over uh, are like some kind of, I don't know, harridans? Or am I going to worship them and try to get on their podcast because I love them so much? <laughs> you know, I have chosen the latter. Uh, you uh. know. Yeah. So, but I'm such a huge fan of yours, and you know that we've been in touch over the years. And Lisa and I, I we love each other. I, I, it's just I think you know at a certain point, also some of the like crazy little coincidences or things that happen happen because we decide, oh, this is how I'm going to go through this. Absolutely. And, you know, I, and and I think it's just really fun that uh, we uh, can't, you know. Uh, not have, I, I don't know. I just think it's just really cool how we come together. I, I agree. I mean, that's, that is another reason that I started the podcast in, in the first place was feeling like the last thing I wanted in a city that, you know, in a business that like breeds encouraging women uh, to compete against each other and to feel threatened by one another that, you know, I just didn't want to lean into that in any way and I wanted to like be in violent opposition to it and you know have have a podcast where I'm I'm getting to know as many women in this city as possible and getting and getting to love them or like them or respect them or just that the idea that you know that that it's in defiance of this idea of like well there's just only so many jobs so I guess you have to you know pit, be pitted against each other or you know, that sort of that sort of vibe. Um, and I've told you this, but, you know, I when I lived in San Francisco and watched dinner in a movie and thought it was so wonderful and just was such a fan of yours and, and loved Paul and just love the whole concept. Um, I was as far away from the idea of being in show business as anyone can be. <laughs> and so the 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 most surreal thing and kind of the coolest thing about dinner in a movie was just that there was nothing else I did for quite some time that like was so representative of me as a fan having zero expectation ever in a million years that I would end up doing the version of that show that existed by the time I did it for also six years, which is so crazy. But um, so that, you know, that was because it wasn't like, you know, it's not like I, I, you know, I didn't I didn't watch that much television when I lived in San Francisco. And um, like I said, I was not planning on on, you know, ever ending up in L.A. And and so it's not like I watched Friends and then I like came down to L.A. and got a role on Friends. Do you know what I mean? I have. <laughs> yeah. But 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 there was a thing that I was a fan of that I eventually ended up, you know, that when I came down to L.A., it was kind of the first like consistent and, and larger job that I booked. And it just seemed it just seemed crazy to me. That seemed yeah, crazy it, to me. It is like, interesting, this is, you know. Like when these things happen, uh, you know, as a writer, so I dropped out of college, as I have said, you know, because of 
Christopher Plummer. And, <laughs> and, and, and God, I never had a chance to, to really dress him down about I'm just kidding. I'm so sorry. Uh, I, I love Christopher Plummer. I'm just, I hope anyone who might be tuning into this halfway in the middle knows I oh love God, Christopher Plummer. If someone Plummer. <laughs> actually thinks that you have something personal against Christopher so, Plummer, they're, out, they're beyond help. But so, you know, I um, I really taught myself to write, though, through reading, which you can do. I don't I don't think that works the same with acting. I think acting, acting, you have to, you know. But I think if right. you read enough good work and you start to read with a critical eye and you're and you're also writing at the same time and, and you're really you can start to understand what's good and not good at at least that that's 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 that that's how I and I had good editors just by the yeah. way but so um there are some people that were really influential to me and one of them is Barbara Ehrenreich when I read Barbara Ehrenreich's Nickel and Dimed I my mind was blown and um since then you know she's uh you know, written these books like uh, Bright Sided. Uh, she mm. has a new book out now where she is really, she really looks critically at society and mm-hmm. she um, uh, writes with so much humor and intelligence. And uh, the crazy thing is, is somehow or another, Back when I did my book, my first book, which is a collection of essays about being fired, mm-hmm. and it turned into a book, which started from me being fired by Woody Allen, to right. a look at the larger issue yeah. of the change to the gig economy. And I started, I, I reached out to Robert Reich, and I reached out to Ben Stein, and I reached out to all these different people, and I reached out to Barbara, and she became a friend and a mentor to me. I and that. it's that same thing of like, you know, uh, I don't, it, you know, maybe you didn't watch every show, and then you ended up, you know, as part of a program you watch. I, Barbara was my most influential person who I thought, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to approach doing. And then to have her be a colleague and a mentor and then a colleague of mine, it is really astounding. And it also speaks to a certain naivety of my own that I, (laughs) I, you know, had I actually gone through a more traditional uh, background of study and training, I might've been too intimidated to realize. Yes. I think that's very astute. I agree. I agree. There are definitely things like that that we kind of back into um, because we don't. And 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 I I love that. I love the non traditionality of that. That there can be a benefit to um, find like having like carving a really different path or stumbling or you know backing into something or getting really excited about something totally outside of your purview. You know, in later in life and still having it. Uh, be meaningful and and potentially having way more success at it than you would if you had just like been grinding out whatever thing you had to do a to b to c to e you know I've never been able to live my life like that I just never had anything that I was so sure I had to put everything Mm. I had into that you know, that, that, that would have set me on a particular course. And there's most of the things I've done in my career have been sort of, you can't really, I mean, you can, you can draw a line, sure, but it's not like a straight line in any stretch of the, you know, the turf. Like it's just not, but I think if I had, you're right. If I had 
not done some of those things in this weird way, then I would have been like, oh, I couldn't possibly meet or talk to this person or I couldn't reach out to this person. I would never right. be able to, you know. Well, you know, it's funny because we were you, you asked me something about comedy, I think, earlier, and I just absolutely rolled right by that. And I, I did want to say it is a funny thing. So I had one thing. I wanted to do in life from the time, I mean, besides the Ramones and the perm, which I did achieve, you know, <laughs> you can perm, get a baby. double, you, you know, I cross that off the bucket list, That's but right. there, there was, you know, since I was, you know, r really, really little, I wanted to be an actress and I had a very specific thing I wanted to do. I wanted to do really depressing plays <laughs> that's it i can cry on cue i'm not proud of this but you know how some people like teach skills to their children like mm -hmm. life skills cooking uh, uh you know uh, uh, even algebra I did not do that. I had cry-offs with my kid where I taught my kid to cry on cue. This is the one skill I have, Janet. And now, grasshopper, I shall pass this along to you. So, but I, I love depressing plays. I just could not get enough of depressing plays. I had a very early beginning in that. So, you know, as a kid, I was doing these community theater and theater with Temple Best Shalom. I get to New York. And when I, right when I started NYU, I accidentally ended up auditioning for a play with the New York uh, Shakespeare Festival at Joseph Papp's Theater off-Broadway in a Jacobean tragedy. I got the job. I was 19 or 20 at the time. And it was awesome. a very serious, intense play. And I was like, you see, this is my future of intense <laughs> Shakespearean, Jacobean tragedies. Well, I did all these very serious things. And then when I moved to L.A. to start, you know, I, I had an agent who, I, you know, wanted me to work in television. And I was like, OK, I, I, a friend, my best friend had just died of AIDS. It was all very very like tragic, like most things in my life seem to be at that time. I was just very focused on tragedy. Mm -hmm. I got out to LA and I read for a role on Murphy Brown, a guest star as Candace Bergen's secretary. Now it just so happened that that secretary was the role that the show had just started. I had never seen it. So this character was someone who took acting so seriously that she came to work in character as Eliza Doolittle and Maggie on Cat in a Hot Tin Roof. Well, I'm really good at accents. I, that's just something I'm good at. Uh, and, and I take myself so seriously as an actress. I got that role. It's funny because Candace Bergen, years later, she wrote in her book that I was one of her three favorite secretaries ever. I love it. And I'm not but, surprised people assumed I was this comedy person. And mm -hmm. from then on, I could mm -hmm. not get a job in a serious show. Girl, it was all I feel you. Comedy. And I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I, and I, you know, uh, it was like, I was suddenly, oh, she's a comedic actress. One job changed yep. that trajectory. <laughs> and all I did in that job was take acting very seriously, <laughs> you know? And then yeah. I had to sort of figure out how am I going to do this? this? And then like when Dinner and a Movie came along, which was, you know, I think we both felt this. Fans of that show had a very personal relationship with us yeah. because we're using our names. And it was just such a kooky, ridiculous 
program that was just fun, out of the box. Yeah. And it was so guileless, like, you know, yes, there was no... Yeah. We were not trying to pretend to be any kind of hosts with any kind of knowledge. We're just yeah. having fun. Yes. So I think people really connected <clears throat> to both of us and to Lisa. I mean, they felt very personal about us. Yeah. But like, I, I didn't know, like, was this comedy? I mean, I really and truly, I fell into comedy complete. I did not, I was not a groundling. I wasn't a second city person. I had taken some sketch classes, but I was terrible at it. I mean, I, I was not that person. It was a total accident. And, you know, maybe there is something good that is sort of a thought about, you know, look, all, all of the creative arts, they're all linked in a certain way. And of, of an exploration of humanity, trying to tell stories and create empathy by understanding sure. other people and be entertaining. And, you know, but it is funny, though, that you can find yourself in an iteration of that that is completely unexpected. And, yeah. and there is something good, I think, to be valued about sort of being open to the yeah. chanciness of that yeah, exactly. and sort of the... And, and and I and and that actually translates to just so many other things in life as well. Being, you know, you know, our, my co-host on Tiny Victories and your pal as well, Laura House. Laura had this thing we talked about um, New Year's resolutions for 2021, and I I'm not a resolution person, but I love. When she told me hers, I said, okay, I glom I'm glomming onto yours too. <laughs> I think glomming is a great high school JV word. Glomming. I'm it glomming is. onto yours too, right? Twinsies. <laughs> I'm going to wear the same thing you're wearing. So she said her watchwords for 2021 are stay curious. Mm. I love that. Yeah, I that's think great. that's really good about for any artist for any human, yeah. for anyone trying to survive this pandemic and yep. get through it. Like, stay curious. Yeah. Like, how how am I going to get through this? How, how do I make this work? How at, do I continue my career when maybe your career has been bumped by the pandemic or whatever? Right. I just... Those are really good words. And as I'm saying them, I'm reminding myself because I'm not always good. I always want to, I, 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 I can be very rigid. So I, I'm reminding myself, stay curious, lady, stay curious. Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. Hi, are you someone who thinks that when one door closes, another one opens? Someone who always sees the light at the end of the tunnel. If you answered yes to one or both of these questions, good for you. We are not those people. Nope. I'm Annabelle Gerwich, and I'm a, you know that other door opening? It probably leads to a broom closet kind of person. And I'm Laura House. When I see a light at the end of a tunnel, I assume it's a train headed right toward me. Laura and I have created a brand new podcast for people like us. It's called Tiny Victories. We're sharing personal tiny victories or things we've read or seen that inspire resilience. So if you're looking for a tiny reason to get out of bed each week, subscribe to Tiny Victories. Available on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get tiny! I got to get into this mash game with you, but... Uh, okay, yes. So let's do our first category. Let's do three... <laughs> three very depressing... 
plays or movies that we are going to alternate universe kind of drop you into that you get to be in that for any number of reasons you probably won't end up doing uh or even if you think you will um three 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 very somber works that we are going to plop you into uh so that you can have that experience um, okay of, of doing something okay got it first is uh is uh um streetcar named desire i'm Great. blanche dubois and uh i my life is a fucking nightmare all my dreams have gone through the sieve and they're taking me off to the institution but i think the doctor is my date gorgeous what's number two number two is uh this new uh george clooney uh movie uh which is called midnight sky which is is supposed to also be i think a little inspirational it's not (laughs) (laughs) it's the end of a world people he is hallucinating about a child that he never met and uh his life is over and he's trying to do one last good deed for people the last humans in existence and he leaves the comfort of his you know last station to try to do a good deed for them no i'm gonna change that ending i am george clooney in midnight sky i'm staying in the station and just drinking all the whiskey that's left (laughs) great Great. Uh, beautiful. What's number three? Um, number three is, um, is let's see. Number three is Fleabag. Fleabag. Yeah. I know that might sound surprising. Fleabag is not, well, I mean, it's everything, right? Fleabag yeah. is all the things. Right. And, uh, you know she who is greater than phoebe bridges and i'm going to take one second out of my lifelong commitment to say i i am so i just i want to uplift the work of everyone and i applaud everyone's work and how great they're doing and just give in for just one moment to turn Fleabag into the worst thing ever because I'm so fucking pissed off that Phoebe Bridges is so good at everything that I just want to push her in front of a truck on the show, not in real life. It's a huge compliment. On the show, I just want to say, I don't want, I wish her well, but on the show because she also is the person behind Killing Eve. What the fuck, lady? I know, I know. Leave a little bit of like, (laughs) you know, of like brilliance could for someone else. So for me, Fleabag is a tragedy because I will never, ever, ever achieve anything like that. Thanks, Phoebe. Yeah, great, great. 
that's like i get my dad loves to tell the story about him his recognition of like like brian wilson's like saying he wanted to sort of make the perfect album and then he heard revolver or something like that and was like well it's already been done uh my life is over uh okay next category let's do three writers from any time in history to the present uh that you get to collaborate on something with okay um this is going to just sound terrible, but first, Virginia Woolf. And I know a lot of people would say that. And I love, I, I love Virginia Woolf so much, except I never get past the whole, I can't read the whole book. I've never read an entire book of Virginia Woolf's. <laughs> and I would just say, Virginia, why so wordy? <laughs> Can we, can we just make, can we just work on like a, a good sentence? I know, I know it's just a sacrosanct. It's just terrible. No, it. It's just terrible. It. That's but what this I would, game is for. I would write a very short one page tone poem with Virginia Woolf. Great. For one. Great. Um, I would want to collaborate with uh, Elena Ferrante, who wrote uh, My Brilliant Friend and oh, sure. The Lying Lives of Adults. And the way I want to collaborate with her is to say, lady, you write for me. <laughs> right, great. <laughs> it's, and it's a, go. <laughs> yeah, it's a little one-sided, but I just think she does it better. So I didn't. And then, and then, um, thirdly, I, uh, I, I, I do have this worshipful relationship with Roz Chast, uh, the cartoonist and, uh, partially that's because I, 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 I could never, I don't understand what she does. Like it's alchemy to me that she's so Mm. funny and she's so brilliant. And then she also draws too. Like I, I just don't understand it. And um, I have been in the same room with her. We were both uh, nominated for a Thurber Prize for American Writing, and neither of us won, you know. And, um, of course, she's won so many other awards, it didn't matter to her. I cried. She was like, another day in the life of Roz Chast. Who cares? (laughs) But I would like to just... uh, Okay, this is all going to sound this is sound this is this is sounding like that Stephen King novel uh with Misery. Kathy. Misery. <laughs> okay. okay. Are you going to make her I, write for you? No, I'm going to lock her in a cabin with me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great. In the woods. We're we're, we're going to quarantine first, people. Great, I'm, I great, don't great, wish great. I don't wish Roz Chess ill. We're going to quarantine, then I'm going to lock her in a cabin, and I am going to sit there with her for as long as it takes to understand how she can be, like how her process of distilling, this is what I think she's such a genius at. She distills things down to one frame cartoons. I know. Isn't that crazy? I I'm a wordy person, if you haven't noticed, people out there. And I don't know, I don't know how she does that. And I want to do that. So I would sit with her. Okay, it's a hostage situation. <laughs> and and I, that's what I that's what I want to know. How do you edit down to one frame? Great. Great, great, great. 
Okay, next category, three foods that in this reality are either sort of ecologically irresponsible or you're allergic or it's too fatty or there's so much sugar that you feel like you're going to have a heart attack when you're eating it. In this uh, this reality we're creating, all things are equal and nothing is bad. Um, And so you can have whatever this is in perpetuity, no matter how rare uh, or how awful or how uh, fill in the blank, three. Okay, terrific. This is so, this is uh, so obvious. So I'm Southern, born in Alabama. The three foods that are my pyramid of food groups are chicken fried steak, mm-hmm. steak fried chicken, uh-huh. and just fried, just the breading. <laughs> if I could just live on those three things, I'd be happy. Great. And fried. Fantastic. Okay, this is MASH. We're going to have a romance category. It's just how it's done. Three people, I don't care if they're characters from books, mm-hmm. movies, cartoons, animals, uh, space people, I, whatever you want from any era, any age. It can be, you know, this actor from this era of their career. Uh, the sky's the limit. You three. Okay. Uh, Vigo Mortensen. Uh even Vigo Mortensen, when he was in his barefoot phase, which is just stupid, <laughs> he was walking around London barefoot for a yeah. while. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> I uh, just, what can I say? Love Vigo Mortensen. Great. Okay. Uh, this is going to sound a little troubling. Mr. Snuffleupagus. Great. On Sesame Street. Great. You know, Snuffy is a very giving soul. Yeah. yeah. And I appreciate that in a partner. <laughs> Fantas- also, those eyelashes seem like they could feel feathery and fabulous just about anywhere. The eyelashes. And if you really want to go down a weird rabbit hole, <laughs> I was actually on Sesame Street when I was 19. I worked in the library uh, on the show and I did scenes with Mr. With, with, actually, it wasn't Mr. Snuffy, just Snuffy. And Snuffy. I found Snuffy strangely a turn on. <laughs> I know it's not appropriate, people. Don't I think about it. it too hard. I love it. And uh, lastly, I'm gonna say, um, oh gosh, uh, oh, uh, <laughs> uh. Yeah, I have a big crush on the actress who plays the uh, gay agent in Call My Agent in, uh, in on the French Netflix series. Uh, I think okay. her name is Camille Cotin, and uh, I just have a huge crush on oh, her. I got to look her up. Fantastic. Yep. Um, beautiful. Okay. Uh, second to I last might category. want her to be my agent. I'm not sure if I want her. To... <laughs> All right, I'm not sure that if it's sexual does. or professional, but I'll take both. Okay, I think that's great. I think that's great. It's a good use of the, the category. Thank um, you. Okay, next category: yeah. three places in the world that we are going to sort of be able to teleport you to, and you will have a second home. Oh yes. Well, um, I would like to live in one of the uh, hot springs, those in Iceland. Oh, I, great. I, I just, I've just really 
I always wanted to go there. I, I still intend to go there. Then I want to go to the hot springs in Japan that there are, there's a species of monkeys that sit in the hot springs with oh, you. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, that's and, amazing. Uh, yeah, so cool. And then I want to go over to Beverly Hot Springs, which is in my neighborhood in Korea, near Koreatown in Los Angeles. There's a theme here. Wait, we're I'm giving really- you a second home inside <laughs> Beverly Hot Springs? Yes. Yes. I love it. I, I love just, it. <laughs> I, I've picked three locations of natural bubbling up right. places of hot water from the earth. And that's just, that's that's where I want to go. I know it's a little matchy matchy. but No, I support that makes it, it entirely. What's great about it is uh, I can wear the same thing to all of them. Uh-huh. <laughs> a bathrobe. <laughs> a bathrobe, which I take off and then go in naked into yeah. the hot springs. It's it so easy. It just makes good sense. It just yeah. makes damn good sense. When you send me off there, when you teleport me there, Janet, I don't have yeah. to bring luggage. No, you I'll don't. Go, you don't. I'll go in my bathrobe. I love right. traveling light. That's yes. right. And zero carbon footprint. Uh, oh, okay. Yes. Next one, uh, next and final one is three next door neighbor musicians that you would like to have to complete your your collection of having lived close to many other uh, singer songwriters. If you could choose three different, it could be a whole band, it could be a singer songwriter, it could even be a composer if you want to go that route. And presumably them being your neighbor also involves you getting to like sort of go over and like listen to music or maybe they compose a whole album that's just, you know, sort of for you, like curated for you in your life. Uh, three next door neighbor musicians. I like it. Okay. So um, my choices are... Um, first is uh, Francois Couperin. I love Couperin's music. That's early music or Baroque music. Uh, That just makes me really happy. I would yell over from my fence to Couperin's fence, hey, Coop, baby. (laughs) I'm writing now. Could you please turn on the Baroque? Crank out the Baroque for me. It really makes my brain happy. Great. So I got Cooper on one side. Then I've got 100 Gex on the other side. Okay. I 100 Gex is experimental electronic nightcore. I it, there's a lot of different ways to describe it basically i call it my migraine and the thing about 100 gex is the music just does something to my brain that's so awful that it makes me happy i wow all i can all i can say is if you haven't listened to 100 gex that means you don't have a 22-year-old child right. who hasn't told you to listen to it. Uh, I urge you to li- that. I would love that because somehow that music just makes me super happy. So I've got Couperin. I've got 100 Gex. And right in the middle, I've got uh, Sufjan Stevens. Great. And Sufjan Stevens, what I do with Sufjan is... I'm probably pronouncing his name wrong. Sorry. I think you're pronouncing it right. Ooh, very but good. But maybe not. 
uh, what I say is, <clears throat> hey, hey, buddy, I need someone to just whisper uh, in my ear yeah. little songs, yep. little, little, little songs to just make my day go better. And and he does that. He yeah. he does little little songs like that, and and that just makes me happy. So I love it. That's my trifecta. I love it. Okay, here's how we determine what you end up with from each of these categories in your 100% guaranteed mash future. Uh, you, why don't you tell me mm-hmm. what the color of your mood is right now? Well, I've never asked anyone this question before in my life. I'm so glad you asked this because. I have a new episode of Tiny Victories that's all about <clears throat> the influence of color on mood. Oh my god, I'm amazing, fantastic. So, uh, Janet, the Pantone Color Institute Color of the Year for 2021 is the color of Amanda Gorman's coat. Uh-huh. that she gave the speech okay. in at the inauguration. And that coat might seem like yellow, but right. it is not. It is a color that is they call illuminating. 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 Illuminating, okay. And it's this beautiful yellow. It's a yellow that makes you stop and say, hey, is that a banana? Or is that the brightest sun I've ever seen? Is that, is that the Morton Salt Girl? <laughs> it just, it just wakes you up, right? Like a daffodil. And my color is illuminating. Okay, great. Uh, will you please reiterate to the listener uh, the places they can find you? We've talked about it. Let's put it all in one place here while I do these uh, very rudimentary calculations. And then I will have the answer to your mash. I can't imagine what kind of calculations you're doing. You can find me on Twitter at L.A. Gerwich, and I'm going to have the dates, upcoming tour dates. We've got events with Marissa Tomei and Andy McDowell and Dave Barry and just all kinds of fun things coming up for the book. I'll put those dates on Twitter. You can find... uh, uh, me on the Facebook and Annabelle Gerwich author. If you dare to give uh, Mark Zuckerberg your business, <laughs> I I do find that useful. And you can find uh, Tiny Victories on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts or on the Maximum Fun website. And I I hope that you will call our Tiny victories hotline because that's my that's really my favorite part of the of the uh, podcast is when people call in their tiny victories and i am gonna give you that phone number oh yeah phone number for the tiny victories hotline which by the way rings on my computer which is kind of hilarious i don't know how to turn it off so every time (laughs) someone calls it it's kind of nutty but it rings on my computer and that number is 323-285-1675 that's the tiny victory hotline so 
Find me there. Find me on Twitter. Find me on the Facebook. One day I'm going to get it. on Instagram. I'm not oh, right now. I'm but very I bad at managing social media. I'm very, very bad at it. I don't live on social media. I, have I don't to be reminded. either. Um, yes. Okay. I have your results. I feel very good about them. I hope you'll feel the same. Um, I first want to say that I think mm-hmm. what's fitting for... The Tiny Victories podcast in sort of in conjunction, a companion piece, if you will, is your one page with Virginia Woolf. Uh, (laughs) I feel like that is a nice, nice tie in. Um, You're going to have that that beautiful one page poem, I believe you said, with uh, with Virginia Woolf. So that's going to be an additive to the literary oeuvre. Uh, People would thank us. People would thank us. I agree. I agree. Uh, I want to lean into the French theme that has uh, happened with two of these answers. I don't know if she's your agent, your lover, or both, but you have the <laughs> adorable agent from Call My Agent Ooh. in your life in a very uh, meaningful way. Yes. And you have Francois Couperon, uh, oh. Francois Couperon uh, on your uh, on your on your your speed dial as well. And you can also just like crawl, just as you said call across the backyard um uh, however you please uh you have him as a neighbor and as a uh friend and uh composer in your world that feels like maybe you know as you're getting into the mood for your role as blanche also a french name (laughs) in streetcar maybe you know during your sort of like emotional prep maybe even francois couperon gives you like some music that sort of helps you get deep into the blanche the blanche state of uh blanche dubois Mm. um you are going to, if you listen, you're going to do that uh, that play. I'm sure we could agree it's going to be miraculous and fantastic oh, yes. and wonderful, but yes. it's also going to be very taxing. So mm-hmm. you're going to want to take a nice long soak at your very own house that is right there in Japan, where the hot springs and the monkeys come oh. together. Yes, to soak. I don't know if you want to be eating chicken fried steak right there with the monkeys in the hot springs in Japan. Could but I be want to dangerous. Could be dangerous. You. If you so choose, you have it in unlimited quantities how, whenever you want with zero ramifications. Well done, you. Oh, Janet, I feel like this must be something to do with the pandemic. But just even you're saying those things. It feels real, doesn't it? It does feel real I because know. you also say it with authority. I just like, <laughs> I feel like, I also feel like anything, uh, anything could happen. I think we have seen in this yeah. pandemic, like it's been so far from our imagination of what our life could be like. When you yeah. just said that, I sort of felt like, yeah, sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. That could yeah. happen. That's because- exactly right. Who knows? That's exactly right. It's the right response. Uh, I'm so glad we finally got to do this. I uh, definitely encourage everyone to go to all the places, rewind, feel free to rerun this podcast if you need to listen to those places again. We'll also put some links in the show notes. And everybody, please take care of yourself. Be safe, wear a mask, and I will talk to you next time on the podcast. The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.